Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to the Cryptique Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things unexplained. I'm joined, as always, by a man who thought crop circles were just a new intergalactic fitness trend. He's been doing jumping jacks in the cornfields ever since. Ryan, what's up? I'm still convinced I'm right. Just doing wonders for my sixth lab, getting in shape. Not much, man. How are, how are you? <laughs> How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to hear it, man. There's not really a lot of... Do you guys even have cornfields out by you? We've got, like, soybeans by us, but uh, not, not a lot I of I think corn. we have both. Yeah, we definitely have cornfields. Yeah. No crop They're circles not, yet? Not not any good ones. Not the ones I'm making <laughs> with my jumping jacks. There you go. All right. Let's bring a skateboard deck out there with me and jump around on that. I, I wish that we Brighten could... down. Somebody would let us make a crop circle. You know, like, just a videotape it and put it out there yeah that'd be fun you know any farmers no not anymore all right well if we can't do that at least you can tell them what they need to know yep as always please support us by interacting with the show through your podcast platform it's the best way to fight the algorithm and let it know that we are worth listening to we also greatly appreciate it if you share the show with somebody who you think will like it or maybe just to be interested in one particular topic. Maybe if you know somebody that's super weird, be like, hey, check this out. And it'll help you build a bridge with that person. <laughs> yeah, if they're like us, then maybe they'll like this too. But if you want to follow us on social media, you can do that. All the links will be in the show notes. You can send us emails if you want to get in touch at uh, cryptiquepodcast at gmail.com and I'm thinking that I'll add a P.O. box at some point and then you can send your messages on whatever you want except fruit <laughs> don't write it on fruit <laughs> I don't know if you've ever wa- read Wired magazine but they used to have I think it was Wired it was definitely one of like the nerd magazines back in the early 2000s but it would be this sort of challenge of like what can you send through the mail so people would write little notes on like footballs or like blow up pool toys and things like that and put stamps on it and send it through the mail. Well, we don't want that. Send us your haunted items so Ryan's house can be haunted. And he'll I ship said P.O. Box so our, so our post office can be haunted. <laughs> oh, that would And be if crazy, you want right? to... You walk in and there's ghosts everywhere. It's you, you son of a bitch. It's the Cryptique P.O. Box. And if you guys want to help us keep the servers on, you can do that with the service, buy me a coffee. Because the grammar on that is so weird. It's like, help us keep the servers on with buy me a coffee. People be like, what is that? Yep, that link will be up. Also, check out the Cryptique Podcast store because we do have a Battle of Los Angeles t-shirt and hoodie. And I think a sticker too, which are all pretty cool. So check that out. Um, got some emails. <sighs> Want me to read some emails? I do. Kathy W. says she listens while walking her dog Tarzan and likes the episodes to be about 30 minutes because that's how long it takes her to walk her dog. We'll see what we can do. Some of these, you know, they have to be an hour and 45 minutes, two hours, because you've got to die deep. So, but this one probably won't be that long. So maybe just uh, walk your dog a little bit longer. You know, it's good for everybody. All right, so... The Missing Link says, quit reusing beats. Sorry, Missing Link. It's hard to come up with new stuff twice a week. 
for uh, that relate to the show. So I'll see what I can do. Well, we appreciate you keeping uh, track of our beats. We, you know, I try and make beats that relate to each episode as much as possible. It's fun for me, so it's not really work. But honestly, I've been in kind of a pit lately and haven't been able to find stuff that I like. So I'm in the process of looking for new samples and stuff like that. And I'm sorry, Missing Link. I'll do my best. I'm trying my hardest, honestly. But yes, it's, it's noted. Quit reusing beats. Billy, my man, wants an episode on the Loch Ness Monster and all of the photos that have been recently released. Are there well, new photos? Well, here's the thing. Billy, I'm sorry to tell you this, but these, all these new photos and stuff like that are just too inconclusive to... I mean, I don't even want to call them photos of the Loch Ness Monster because a lot of them are just clearly waves and sticks and stuff like that to the point where it does a disservice, you know, like when people see, oh, this new Loch Ness Monster photo, it's like, oh my gosh, okay, it's a ripple in the water with a big, thick red circle around it. And it's taken from 700 yards away uh, by a camera phone. And it just, I don't know, man. Like, it doesn't really, I haven't seen one that persuaded me to look any deeper into it. So we'll, we'll look into it. But I think to say all of the new photos that have been recently released is a little off. Because, I mean, they're photos and they say Loch Ness Monster, but they don't really show the Loch Ness Monster. So, sorry. But we'll check into it. We, we probably do a Nessie show at some point, right? One of the most famous cryptids ever. So, we'll get on that. But, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we are talking about the Battle of Los Angeles. In the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, Los Angeles experienced a mysterious event known as the Battle of Los Angeles. I kind of ruined that up front <laughs> with the topic. On February 25th, 1942, at 2.25 a.m., residents were startled by sirens, explosions, and searchlights. The city plunged into darkness as spotlights illuminated the sky amidst bomb explosions. Clad in pajamas, Angelinos watched from their porches as over 1,400 rounds of ammunition thundered overhead. The all-clear sounded at 7.21 a.m., revealing five dead, numerous injuries, and damaged houses, although no enemy aircraft were downed. I wonder what that sounded like. Because they're, they're not firing twenty twos, right? They're firing, I, I think, 50 caliber Anti-aircraft rounds, at yeah. least, yeah. So Does, that's got to be pretty scary when you hear, yeah. I mean, you feel like you are under attack. You know, they don't know, the citizens don't know what's going on. They see spotlights and hear just mad ammo busting off everywhere. Scary stuff. Despite conflicting explanations, the incident fueled conspiracy theories, reflecting the heightened anxiety in post-Pearl Harbor America. Because I guess at the time, everybody would have been afraid of additional attacks. And I think Mm -hmm. I read before that the plan originally might have been for Pearl Harbor to hit Pearl Harbor and then sweep north up California. But 
I don't know. Well, that would have been a terrible choice for them. Yeah, one of the things that they were going to do, but one of the Japanese military leaders had studied in America at one point, and he was like, no, no, we should not try to do that. He was like, the general citizenry has weapons. Like, we're not just fighting the military, we're fighting everybody if we try to go that way. And I could be wrong, but I think the exact quote was something along the lines of, there will be a rifle behind every blade of grass. And I love Mm. that. I love that we're described like that. Yes. (laughs) If you're listening, there will be a rifle behind every blade of grass. Stay away. Mm -hmm. All right. On December 7th, 1941, the Japanese Air Force surprised the U.S. Pacific Fleet in Pearl Harbor, resulting in the destruction of 21 ships, 188 planes, and the loss of 2,403 lives in less than two hours. This attack, once perceived as a distant conflict, brought the war to the U.S. home front. Fearing further attacks, Los Angeles, a hub for plane and Navy ship manufacturing, anticipated being Japan's next target. Within days, the U.S. declared war on Japan, Germany, and Italy, entering World War II. The aftermath bred paranoia, leading the U.S. government to view its own Japanese citizens with suspicion. On February 19, 1942, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed an executive order enabling the arrest and internment of Japanese Americans. In Los Angeles, the first West Coasters affected were 3,000 Japanese residents from a fishing village on Terminal Island. On February 23rd, just before the Battle of Los Angeles, a Japanese submarine fired on the Elwood oil field near Santa Barbara. Although minimal damage occurred and no injuries were reported, the attack served as a psychological triumph, conveying that California and the entire West Coast were vulnerable to future strikes. Tell us more. On February 24th, 24 hours post the Elwood attack, a yellow alert was issued at 7.18 p.m., as radar detected objects over 100 miles off the coast moving swiftly towards Los Angeles. By 10.33 p.m., an all-clear was declared, only for sirens to announce a full blackout less than four hours later, initiating the battle. That's something you probably wouldn't even be able to get people to do nowadays. A blackout? Oh, Like turn off all the lights so the bombers can't see where the city is? Well, did they do that, or did they just cut the power? That's what they were supposed to do. You're supposed to turn off all the lights. I don't believe that they just cut power. Yeah, that would but be But I don't know. I don't I don't know for sure. That would be pretty harsh, you know, if there's hospitals in the area, obviously you can't cut the power to them. You'd have to know what their generators will do and stuff, but mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of nursing homes and all that. So yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, they probably did have to just turn everything off. Yep. All of a sudden you just see like a billion phones lit up. <laughs> today of course yeah the morning after los angeles reporters detailed the aftermath five people died including two from heart attacks and three in car accidents caused by distracted drivers which that makes sense to me a farmer herded his stampeding cattle after an explosion killed a cow i shouldn't laugh at that poor cow in inglewood a rabbit hutch was destroyed without significant damage unexploded bombs added to the chaos as well 
One buried itself in a golf course clay bed, and another landed in a Santa Monica driveway, prompting authorities to cordon off the area due to the danger of unexploded ordnance. Maybe it means that a bomb hit a like some kind of facility. Some kind of important rabbit hutch. But we'll give you more, well, potentially more answers to some of the burning questions you'll have after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Answers? You want answers? Okay, I'll give you answers. We don't need no stinking answers. <laughs> I feel like it could have gone either a few good men or, or the other. <laughs> yeah, well, mine was from uh, Birdemic, which is a horrible Riff Tracks movie that you must see. Um, all right. Los Angeles underwent a transformation into a battlefield overnight, showcasing the stark reality of modern warfare. What added to the distress was the absence of any visible external enemy. You have to think at this time when you can't see anything, but you know that your military, or you at least think that your military sees something, that's got to be really scary. Like it could be right over us and we can't see it because of this new technology or something. Despite the arrest of Japanese Americans on charges of violating blackout rules, no enemy aircraft were downed during the extensive firing. During the cleanup, it was revealed that all bombs dropped on Los Angeles originated from its own defenses. Many shells designed to detonate at a specific altitude failed and fell back to the ground. This raised questions about the purpose of the incident. Some speculated it might be a test, but others dismissed this notion, emphasizing that such a massive deployment of materials indicated an intent to knock something down. Witnesses reported vague descriptions of slow-moving objects, particularly visible in the center of lights, resembling the hub of a bicycle wheel surrounded by spokes. Multiple people observed the target inching along high overhead, flanked by cherry red bursts, while others mentioned seeing one to hundreds of high-flying planes illuminated by searchlights and explosions. So, how scary is it? Now they say, you know, it raised questions about the incident and that it might be a test. Well, if it was, was it from our military and they just didn't tell a lot of people, you know, like a lot of the military personnel that there's going to be a test and they just wanted to run a balloon and see if they could hit it because they failed miserably. Or was it a test from the Japanese? Like, hey, we'll send over a bunch of uh, weather balloons and see what it looks like when it goes over L.A. to see if we can, you know, actually attack or not. And what about these people? You walk out in your front yard and you see a fucking undetonated bomb laying there. How scary is that? Right. It's really scary. I think there's no way it would have been our military and they one branch failed to tell another about something that important i mean i think that i feel like the most realistic part of the original iron man movie is that as soon as he's flying around in that suit somewhere he shouldn't be he's instantly detected by the government yeah you know like he's instantly picked up by military and they go to shoot him down like he thinks he can just get through it's like nope you are gonna get picked up 
there's you have to tell people what you're doing. I mean, you can't even fly a uh, like single engine plane mm-hmm. without a flight plan. Like me and you, right. the kind of plane we could go out and afford for the price of a car. Mm-hmm. Now you're buying an old plane, but you know what I mean. Like not yeah. not something super high end, not something super dangerous. But it's like, yeah, you can't get away with anything without the government, the military, whatever, knowing what is there. And presumably that's, I mean, one, for like scheduling purposes and knowing what's supposed to be in the air and when. So you don't just overcrowd the skies and have, you know, more planes than there should be trying to land. But it's probably also at least to some extent that the military knows what's supposed to be there so they can tell what's out of place. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, oh, here's a plane that is not supposed to be here. This is not where they should be flying. Not the right altitude. You know, not the right behaviors. And you're not going to, you know, if you decide you want to test this out, and you get shot down, it's your own fault. You know, like don't don't assume that the military isn't listening and watching, and probably sniffing everything we're doing nonstop all day. And if you fly one of these planes, like over Los Angeles at the time, you're just asking for trouble. Don't do it. It's sometimes scary, easy to see how possible it is to spy on people. Oh yeah. Technologically speaking. I mean, you can, I used to, I did it once or twice just for grins to like make a point to some friends. We drove around with a laptop running. Mm Mm-hmm. So laptop was a certain version of Linux, certain antenna, but we were war driving is what they call it. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. Tell me. So it's based off the old term war dialing, which if, okay. Remember the movie war games with Matthew Broderick? (sighs) Yeah, perfectly from 1984. No, I don't. Well, he does this thing, which was a real thing where he, has the computer dialing random numbers. He's trying to connect to a, a computer in this certain area. So he knows the, like the, the area code and then the first prefix. Cause he knows the approximate location mm-hmm. and he has the computer just dialing through. And if it hears another computer answer, it, it tries to connect. Mm-hmm. But if it hears like a person pick up or whatever, it just hangs up or if, you know, voicemail, whatever. That's called war dialing, just randomly going through and looking for something to connect to. War driving is literally driving around and having a computer collect information about open networks. Hmm. And it's like within a quarter mile, we had picked up like 160 networks. And like you could get on. And this was, yeah, this was like probably 15 years ago. Hmm. And I think probably 100 of them had no security at all, no passwords, no nothing. And you can even on public Wi-Fi, like they, they talk about on public Wi-Fi, you have to be careful. You really do, because mm. it's relatively easy, even with pretty limited knowledge. If you have the right tools, software tools to just, you talked about sniffing, to just do like basic packet sniffing and find out what kind of information is being transmitted back and forth. Mm. It's pretty easy to tell, you know, okay, this looks like it's receiving a website. Oh, here's like an email address and here's, you know, I secretly love 50 cent 24. That's probably a password. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Why the secretly? There's some skill involved, but it's super easy to, uh, 
get spied on, especially nowadays. I was literally just watching something earlier about how certain smart TVs, it's been found that government agencies can activate them and activate microphones in them Mm. to listen in, which is scary. And I don't think mine has any microphones, but I'm considering turning off the Wi-Fi on it. Hmm. I hate smart TVs. I I don't use them either. I I if I could buy a TV that didn't have anything smart in it, I would. And apparently, if you buy like TVs meant for business, like conference center piece, like TVs and stuff like that, that are supposed to have like a PC hooked up to them, mm-hmm. they don't have any of that. So I might that that might be what I go with next time. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, anyway. tell us about these military explanations. All right, amidst the confusion on the ground. The U.S. military's divergent responses fueled the ongoing controversy and debate surrounding the Battle of Los Angeles. So the military's kind of all over the place. Navy Secretary Frank Knox from Washington declared at a press conference that it was a false alarm, (laughs) attributing the incident to jittery nerves and asserting that there were no planes over Los Angeles that night. Tell that to the cow, you asshole. Tell that, tell that to the people who had heart attacks. Tell that to the right. lady who had a bomb in her driveway or whatever. It's fucking Donnie Darko shit, man. However, the military's Western Defense Command in L.A. contradicted this, stating the aircraft which caused the blackout have not been identified. The conflicting statements left the city and nation perplexed. And obviously, we're still a little bit perplexed because we're talking about it now. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into some of the, I guess, speculation, but so we're just going to cover what the LA times reported. So the army reported that enemy planes were present and preparing for an attack during the battle of Los Angeles, leading to blackout searchlights and sustained gunfire. In contrast, secretary Knox insisted there were no planes dismissing the incident as a false alarm. Knox also suggested that such occurrences might necessitate relocating Pacific Coast war industries inland. Welcome to St. Louis, Boeing and McDonnell Douglas. Well, I was just going to say, actually, a lot of those companies still have facilities in California. Mm -hmm. But they probably don't want me doxing them by saying where exactly they are. (laughs) Sure. But I do know that, that at least some of those companies were talking about getting rid of them. They talked about, I mean, I've been in meetings where they were talking about, yeah, you know, when we when we built this facility, it was like the 50s or the 60s and there was nothing around. Mm-hmm. So it was like the perfect place to do what we were doing there. And now there's an Amazon warehouse right next door and there's houses like a quarter mile away. So we're, we're probably just going to sell, sell the, the building and try to move that somewhere else. Yeah, sell it to uh, Amazon. He'll yeah. just fucking build his rockets there. <laughs> you can leave yeah. all the equipment and everything. <laughs> the questioning response highlighted the extraordinary reasoning behind this proposal. If there were no actual planes and no real danger, how did this specific incident support the theory of moving significant aircraft industry inland? Why all the confusion? Find out after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Tis confusion, Ryan. 
this <laughs> the confusion surrounding the Battle of Los Angeles deepened with conflicting statements from military officials, like we've been saying. According to a February 26th article, one official source, speaking anonymously, claimed that American planes quickly responded, while another stated that no U.S. Army planes took off due to the risk of anti-aircraft fire. I buy that, too, because, they're, I mean, you're going to be like, you want me to go up there? you got 150, you know, 18-year-old kids scared out of their minds with their fingers on 50 cal triggers dude i'm not flying up there <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it is interesting to note that the air force did not exist at this time true it was the u.s army air corps i believe which is what my grandpa on my dad's side was in mine too what a coincidence that is an interesting coincidence all right as clarity remained elusive the local press and sleep-deprived citizens persisted in seeking an explanation for the perplexing events. Yeah, I'd want to know, too. In Washington, President Roosevelt, dissatisfied with the report from Army Chief of Staff George Marshall, suggesting as many as 15 planes may have been involved, sought clarification. When official explanations fell short, alternative and, in some cases, far-out theories emerged. Over the Far decades out, since bro. the incident... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which initially dominated headlines, but eventually faded against war news. The Battle of Los Angeles has become a popular subject for UFO theorists. But was it a UFO? On the day of the Battle of Los Angeles, a radio broadcast described how residents could witness the flashes of guns and searchlights sweeping the skies. Prevailing UFO theories about the incident suggest that a mysterious craft, often likened to a flying saucer, appeared over Los Angeles. Some witnesses claim it resembled a tripod reminiscent of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. According to one witness, the object was described as enormous, practically hovering over their house, appearing as a lovely pale orange. Despite soldiers reportedly firing dozens, if not hundreds, of rounds at the supposed craft, UFO enthusiasts argue that the unidentified objects appeared indestructible. Another witness stated, quote, it was like the 4th of July, but so much louder. The military was shooting like crazy on it, but they couldn't deal any damage, end quote. However, these points rely on the assumption that a craft was present and stationary in the air being hit by artillery. The question remains, what does the evidence suggest? So if this was a UFO we're talking probably about some sort of like stealth blimp type UFO, right? Like the, you know, we've had these appear in the skies over St. Louis a couple times um, where it's basically like a huge triangle and it just, it's kind of, there's not really any sound. It's not real high up in the air and it just kind of floats past. It doesn't seem like you know, a flying saucer would just be like, hey, um, we're just going to stop right here and we're going to let them shine all their lights and fire all their artillery at us and see what it does unless it was a drone, right? 
Declassified military reports from February of 1942 shed light on the military's perspective during the Battle of Los Angeles, and it isn't reassuring. The reports detail numerous sightings, including unidentified planes between Seal Beach and Long Beach, a balloon with a red flare over Santa Monica, and craft appearing over various locations like Long Beach, the Douglas Plant, and Vermont Street. The military response involves substantial artillery fire, with 482 rounds of 3-inch ammunition expended at the planes. Despite these efforts, the report notes no visible results, except for one gun reporting setting a plane on fire. More than 16 military eyewitness testimonies are listed in the report, describing a range of objects from weather balloons to formations of 3 to 30 planes flying in a V formation over L.A. So they're basically saying here, Despite firing 482 rounds of 3-inch ammunition, which is, I would imagine one of those rounds probably weighs a couple pounds. Yeah. So that's pretty serious stuff. I can't even imagine what that would sound like. They're saying no results, except one person said a plane got set on fire. So they're not seeing any damage or anything obvious. And I hadn't really noticed this before. It says uh, weather balloons to formations of 3 to 30 planes. So they're not just saying, you know, it's the spoke, the wheel and spoke shape or the lights or whatever else. They're saying that they actually see planes or they believe them to be planes. Yeah, but were they uh, U.S. planes? (laughs) Right. So was it potentially Japanese aircraft? Well, as early as February 26, 1942, writers at the Los Angeles Times were speculating about the possibility of Japanese planes launched from submarines, but the trajectories didn't align with the reported speeds and heights of the observed craft. Which, I don't know, does that really make that much of a difference? Because you can anticipate, you know, how they would climb in the sky and stuff like that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't, you know, use a different trajectory. I I don't know a lot about... uh, aircraft in in general and uh, it sounds to me though like they're saying like well you know normally they would climb a lot faster or a lot slower or something i I don't know it just sounds kind of odd in october 1945 over a month after world war ii ended a communication from u.s army general dewitt revealed quote it's been definitely ascertained that the blackout and aircraft firing were caused by the presence of one to five unidentified airplanes. And you would think that they would be able to pretty quickly identify American aircraft. You know, if if you're in a plane and all this shit is going on, you're probably going to be like, hey, uh, I, I'm in the silver, you know, this, don't fire, don't fire. Uh, leave us alone. We're not, we're not attacking. Don't shoot us down. So... I don't know. I think that would be pretty easy to identify if they were American airplanes. But the communication suggested the planes might have been launched from Japanese submarines, but it was deemed more likely that they were civilian or commercial planes were civilian or commercial planes operated by unauthorized pilots. However, these pilots, if they ever existed, were never found. And that could be I mean, let's be honest, that could be a cover up because the military doesn't want to be like, uh, we may have shot down John Smith flying his, you know, whatever they flew back then, Cessna 
type aircraft just out for a joyride and we accidentally shot him down with three inch artillery. (laughs) So, or it could just be that that's a mistake and they really, you know, they, it was a mistake on radar or something like that. And they never really saw other planes. You know, we're not, we're not sure. We're not going to yeah, say that's anything true. else. So. Cover up. Like, I oh, know we were shooting at some kind of enemy. Not we shot down a bunch of people in like ultralights. It's Ryan out there in his, <laughs> you know, hang glider with a yeah. ceiling fan <laughs> on the back. <laughs> uh. But was it a Japanese balloon bomb? Find out after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan, was it a Japanese balloon bomb? The absence of bombs dropped by enemy aircraft during the Battle of L.A. raises doubts about Japanese involvement. While the lack of wreckage could be attributed to a reconnaissance mission, the sheer intensity of explosions makes it questionable whether any single aircraft could have survived. Because again, almost 500 three-inch rounds. And what, a, a bombardment of hours. An alternative explanation points to the Japanese Fugo balloon bomb project during World War II. Japan launched over 6,000 balloons loaded with incendiary bombs, aiming to start forest fires and instill panic in the U.S. population. The balloons, up to 33 feet in diameter and capable of carrying up to 1,000 pounds of explosives, were described as resembling jellyfish when launched in groups. While this could explain some reports, including those specifically mentioning a balloon, like the weather balloon report earlier, challenges still arise. Fugo bombs were first reported in 1944, two years after the Battle of L.A. Additionally, the aftermath of a fatal Fugo encounter in 1945 showed identifiable remnants, raising questions about the reported lack of debris after the Battle of L.A. Even if a balloon bomb initiated the incident and was destroyed, it seems plausible that enough remnants could have survived for identification by cleanup crews. And that makes sense. Uh, I understand that, you know, they're saying we probably could have identified this. Not 100%, but most likely. But I do think that the Fugo bombs being first reported in 44 has no bearing on the case to me because how often do they say check out this new technology we've got enemy uh let me tell uh, you about this no they're gonna try and keep yeah it secret. i agree i don't think that's like a smoking gun or anything no i think it's totally possible that it's well yeah that they were in use and just weren't discovered or none of them had dropped or whatever i mean who knows how many of those things were released and just blew back over the ocean right it never really caused any damage that we were aware of for show so all right next theory weather balloon another mm-hmm. alternative explanation for the battle of los angeles suggests that the u.s military might have tracked a weather balloon on radar instead of an aircraft or enemy weapon during that time anti-aircraft facilities released meteorological balloons every six hours for surveillance purposes the reflections of flares illuminating these balloons could have been mistaken for aircraft, especially in the context of heightened alert and previous warnings, leading to gunfire and a chain reaction. However, such an explanation was not well received by the public. Understandably so. 
A declassified report later highlighted the mutual recrimination among various authorities. War Secretary Henry Stimson expressed the belief that several planes from commercial bases were over the city, justifying the Army's response. In contrast, the LA Times emphasized that it was not the time for squabbling and urged local Army authorities to address shelter space issues and the high number of unexploded shells. And when we're talking shelter space issues, uh, I'm assuming what they're talking about is bomb shelters in the city. So there wasn't enough places for everybody to, you know, retreat to, to kind of be safe from these uh, possible Japanese bombs, alleged Japanese bombs or Mm -hmm. airplanes or whatever. Uh, If there were no actual planes and no legitimate cause for alarm, The events of February 24th and 25th could only be viewed as a destructive fiasco driven by jittery nerves, echoing Secretary Knox's assessment. The Los Angeles Times questioned in its editorial response on February 26th, whose nerves, Mr. Knox, the public's or the Army's? Burn. (laughs) I mean... I understand that this was a huge deal and I couldn't imagine something like this happening today. Like it is a fiasco. I mean, that's a great term because nobody really knows. There's not really any final solution to it. And I think that if your military has jittery nerves, your civilian population is going to have jittery nerves when there's, you know, a threat overhead. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Was it a military blunder? Stripping away embellishments, the most plausible explanation for the Battle of L.A. suggests that in a state of panic, servicemen open fire on a military weather balloon. Smoke from the explosions and an excess of spotlights likely created the illusion of a single enormous craft or numerous smaller ones, exemplified in the infamous retouched spotted UFO photograph from the LA Times. Obscured views fueled the belief that invaders persisted, leading terrified soldiers and civilians to fire for over four hours until daylight revealed their error. Eyewitness reports describe an object with static characteristics, visible only by orange and red lights matching the colors of explosions. So they're seeing this, I guess, primarily through the light created by these explosions. Faced with the evident flaws in their prepared defenses, the government and military allowed the story to fade into obscurity due to embarrassment. The great air raid soon vanished from public memory. By the war's end, it became clear that the most significant impact on the U.S. homeland after Pearl Harbor was a mistake by the American military against one of its own major cities, prompting a reluctance to bring attention to the incident. It wasn't until 1983, 41 years later, that the U.S. Office of Air Force History officially reviewed the case and concluded that, considering weather balloons and wartime panic, the great Los Angeles air raid was likely a mirage sparked by meteorological equipment. The obvious answer, obscured by years of silence, provided mystery enthusiasts and UFO conspiracy theorists, which not a term I love, with the Battle of L.A., a fantastical narrative emerging from Hollywood. And we will get to you with some final thoughts, which I'm holding in. It's bad. <laughs> but we'll hold <laughs> we'll hold it till after a quick break.
Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. All right, let it rip then. <laughs> I just do not like the whole. I don't like the idea that they're saying that a panic was caused by a weather balloon and people not knowing that what they were seeing was smoke. Yeah. For hours. Yeah. For what? How long did this last again? I don't know, like four hours, something yeah, like that? Yeah, four hours. How many times do you fire at something and miss before you're like, wait a minute, we need to reassess, right? Yeah, like I mean, you're not you just hunting. get tired? <laughs> well, it's like if you're hunting in the woods and, you know, the whole thing is do not fire until you're 100% sure that what you're firing at or what you're aiming at is what you want to hit. Right. You don't just say, well, their bushes are kind of uh, shaking over there. I wonder if there's a deer behind that. Just shoot it Mm -hmm. and and hope that you, you know, don't hit it in the butt or the ear or something like that. You you don't do that. That's just not. I I mean, I would assume it would be the same even when we're talking about, you know, these anti-aircraft shells. You don't just continually fire and fire and fire and fire and miss every time i mean i was never in the military i could be wrong but it just seems odd to me that you're just going to be like well you know we hit it with uh 442 shells and nothing happened let's go ahead and pop off 42 more and see if we can take it out it doesn't make sense to me but yeah i agree it i mean this kind of came up earlier Kim was, wa- I mean, earlier today, as we're recording this, mm-hmm. Kim was watching one of her murder shows, and they're talking about a case where a guy was shot in his truck, like, uh-huh. seven times. Yeah. And... By accident. And they're showing, you know, they're showing this interview with a guy who's saying it was self-defense, it was a road rage incident, he felt the guy was going for a gun. Yeah. So... You know, and Kim was saying, like, well, why would you shoot somebody? You know, wouldn't you think that after, like, two shots, you would look to see if he's moving or if he's still going for a gun or whatever? Yeah. And I told her what I've heard from, uh, like, military recruiters. Uh Because before I went into grad school, I was supposed to go into the military. I had, like, an offer lined up. Uh So I talked to some of these military guys a number of times. And, you know, I've talked to cops and things like that because I always tried to keep a friendly relationship when I was running businesses where you know it's just a good idea to know people sure and one of the things that i've heard before is like like just how people react even if you're a cop even if you're a soldier when you panic Mm -hmm. uh they were telling me that the thing that tends to happen is you just fire until it won't fire anymore Hmm. they're talking about like soldiers when it's their first time in combat thinking that their weapon jammed or something and really they're just out And there's, they're, you know, working on training to try to get them to be more controlled. Yeah. So it's like, that's what I told her. It's like, well, maybe it's an incident where he, he was just panicking. So he just kept pulling the trigger and then he was out. But then part of this story is he went around to the front of front of the vehicle and fired again through the windshield, hit the guy in the chest. It's like, that's not panic. Yeah. (laughs) That is somebody deliberately trying to get a different angle, but it's, this feels different. This isn't, you know, I fired my M1 into the sky until I was out. This mm-hmm. is, we fired like heavy rounds that had to be reloaded and we did it for hours and hours. Like it's not, 
you know, like you're saying, it's not exactly a panic reaction. There has to be logistics into keeping it up that long. Yeah. And I just, I have a hard time imagining that, that these guys would have been fooled by it. And again, that picture, the uh, spotted UFO photo, there's definitely like a touched up version where it looks like the traditional, you know, sort of forbidden planet, pop sci-fi UFO Mm -hmm. shape. Mm -hmm. But the, original or what appears to be the original one where you don't really see that shape. You see something in the middle, but you can't tell what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, all those spotlights are trained on one thing. Yeah. So they're confused about what it is and it's just smoke, but all of these spotlights are trained on a single object. I don't, I don't think I buy that. I don't understand why. And I don't know what they flew back then. It, It, wouldn't have been phantoms yet right no i mean i i don't know why they wouldn't just send you know some craft up after it i mean you know two hours hey this isn't working let's uh let's send some aircraft up there and see if they can take it out it's Hmm. you know what i mean it's just kind of like yeah we're just gonna just keep blasting just keep blasting until everything's gone. And I don't know. Like I said, I was never in the military. I don't know what kind of aircraft they were using back then. Um, but I do know that whatever they did didn't work. And when something mm-hmm. doesn't work for four hours and, you know, 25 minutes, are you going to continue to do it for another 15 minutes? It just, right. I don't know. It seems, seems odd to me. I, yeah, I do wonder if maybe part of the reason why they wouldn't have sent up aircraft was because they were firing so much. Yeah, I mean, they would have had to have... up that's going to have the potential of getting hit by some kind of shrapnel. I mean, I understand that too, but it's just, if it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work, you're just beating yourself in the head. It's the definition of crazy, right? Keep doing the same mm. thing, even though it's not working and hoping for a different result. And I don't know, man. I, I really... This, this is a hard one because, you know, a weather balloon, yeah, that makes a lot of sense if you're looking mm. for something that's slow moving and big and could be possibly intimidating. That makes sense. But I also think that, you know, a weather balloon probably isn't going to be able to withstand many you know, three inch rounds being fired. Anti-aircraft rounds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, but I, I think there was something up there. I think it was something other than a weather balloon. And I can see if it's like an embarrassing thing, letting it fade. But what we've read says that it could be embarrassment or it could be that there was a hole in our defenses that we didn't want to bring attention to. And I feel like that's the more likely one, like something came in that we weren't able to detect until it was right over a major city and nobody wanted to sort of call that out. Well, it's embarrassing and Mm -hmm. we have to, I think, remember at this time we like now, if you think about, you know, the United States military, and and I'm sure a lot of this is gamesmanship, but you're thinking, no way can we fuck with those people. It's not a good idea because, you know, they won World War II. Uh, They 
try and act like they won every war and everybody has this, you know, huge sense of belief in our military that they're simply the best out there and it's not even close. And I think that's probably true also, but back then it wasn't so much uh, a part of the, I guess, collective psyche that, oh no, these guys are the best on the planet. If there's something up there, they'll find yeah. it. In I mean, the U.S. was not a really a world power at the yeah. time that this yeah. started. Right, right. Yeah, until after WW2. Yeah, it's weird to think about for younger people. Well, really, we're all younger now. Yeah. Not very many people around from before World War II anymore. But, you know, the U.S. was just starting to pull out of the recession the depression rather and not doing so hot, not a world power. And we went into that. I mean, we went into that with what? 48 stars on the flag because they added Hawaii and Alaska after smart. (laughs) They're like, dude, we have to have Hawaii because it's a great place (laughs) to refuel on the way to Japan and uh, Alaska. Yeah. What a fucking steal Alaska was. I can't even tell you how great a deal we got on Alaska. When we talked about this before, uh, I said I think I was leaning towards some sort of balloon, but mm. I, I think I've switched. I, I do I do think that a balloon would have been shot down quickly and it would have been over. It could be that, you know, uh, one of these huge rounds would go through the balloon completely, but the balloon's just so light and it's still got some buoyancy that, you know, maybe it could stay up there for a couple more. You know, it's kind of like you if you throw a, a sheet up in the wind and start shooting at it, you know, you put some holes in it. It's not just going to be like, okay, and just fall straight to the ground. It right, could kind of waver there. Yeah, but not for four and a half hours. Right. And so, not just one balloon either. Yeah. So... I don't know. I think it's a great mystery and Mm. I think it'll probably always remain a mystery because I think that most of the people involved in this are, you know, dead at this point. And that seems to be when they start honoring FOIA requests, right? Oh, everybody involves dead. So, okay, we can talk about it now. Yeah, we fucked up that. That happened back then, though. That'll never happen to us again. Mm. And, you know, the American public's like, okay, great. Yeah, it'll never happen again. Awesome. Good job, guys. Mystery solved. But why would an alien ship come down and, you know, they, they, if they're advanced enough to be on another planet or, you know, from the future or, interdimensional or or whatever, if they're advanced enough, they probably know what's going on and that if they just show themselves over a major American city in times like this, they're going to get shot at. They're, they're going to get attacked. So, well, you know what? That's actually not. Yeah. All right. You just made me think of, no, no. I mean, you just made me think of a time slip. Okay. Maybe they didn't mean to show themselves. Maybe this was an accidental thing. 
either it's something that was there that was supposed to be observing us that didn't think it could be seen. Drone. And let's go further down the rabbit hole and say that it was the red and orange light from the explosions, because it does say that. Mm -hmm. That that was what showed it. Maybe that is somehow what caused it to be visible. Yeah, like the shock. Yeah, the shot. Yeah, the concussive force of it, or the specific light from those explosions. Somehow, you know, maybe they were using some kind of cloaking or whatever that that would have hid it from normal lighting that it would have found. Uh-huh. You know, maybe they would have expected that. If you're an intelligent civilization, you're like, we're going to go observe these guys. We know they have spotlights. We can deal with you know we can deal with this light coming from this angle, whatever. Mm-hmm. But this like force with this bright sudden flash will expose something. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like a shape in the clouds or a shape, maybe it's the smoke, the smoke going around it. Yeah, you know, if you had a smoke filled room and there's like a man shaped area where there's no smoke, you'd be able to see that. You'd be like, "There's a dude standing there." Yeah. I can't see him, but I can see that there's something there. Maybe it's the same kind of thing. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of like horror movies and like the invisible man and stuff like that. But yeah, if you yeah. had some kind of craft that's supposed to be hidden and all of a sudden there's all this smoke going around it, it would kind of become more apparent. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. So we have, I mean, we're, we're only getting into crazier and crazier theories, but I still just don't buy that. They got spooked by a weather balloon. Yeah. And we never got a, a weather report where they're like, well, Tom, it's really smoky out there in Los Angeles tonight. <laughs> yeah, the temperature is uh, 1,400 degrees, which is <laughs> the same temperature as this incendiary bomb. Right. So we have the choice of foreign aircraft, domestic aircraft, weather balloon, military weather balloon, Japanese fugo bomb or something that's unknown, whether it be interplanetary, interdimensional, whatever. What do you what are you staking your claim to here? Which hill am I willing to die on? I'm gonna say maybe something alien or interdimensional. Okay. What about you? Where do you plant your flag? This this is such a difficult one because they're they all seem you know I agree with you about the weather balloon being hard to mistake, mm-hmm. but I really like if I had to assign a percentage to each of the five things, it'd be like twenty percent to each one because it's just so difficult because we've never seen anything like this that I know of where. You know, there was this craft that was shot at by one of the most advanced militaries at the time. And I I just don't remember another story like that. So it makes it all the more difficult when you're just trying to pull from one story. If there were 10 stories like this and they all had these things in common, it would be easier to kind of discern what this might be. But I think if I had to go 21% on something, I think I'm going some sort of drone, either from Japanese military or some sort of unknown craft, like whether it's interdimensional or 
interplanetary or whatever. I want to believe so badly that our military would not blunder like this. Because if they blunder like this, then, well, shit, I'm due to take off at LAX, if that was even there at the time, uh, you know, in four hours, and I'm going to have 300 passengers on my plane. I I don't know if I want to do this. You know, I might yeah. call in sick that day. And I don't know. I, I, I'm i kind of stumped on this one, but I, I'm going drone if I have to pick one. Okay. So mystery solved, right? Totally. We, it's definitely something. We, we solved that it's not a weather balloon. Uh. We do not believe that it's a weather balloon. Yeah, I guess that's really all we can say. But yeah, if you guys out there want to let us know what you think, we'd honestly love to hear your theories and we'll read them on the show at some point whenever we get enough of them. But you can send that over to crypticpodcast at gmail.com or uh, share it with us on social media. All of our socials are in the show notes. For sure. Tell them what they need to know. As always, you can help us out by sharing the podcast with someone who you think will like it or by interacting with it through your podcast platform so that that platform will hopefully decide to share us with more people so we can spread and grow and cause panic and mass hysteria and all those wonderful things that our theories would probably do if they got out there. Uh, You can also get in touch with us by email, like I mentioned earlier, at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. You can see what we're selling over at crypticpodcaststore.com and you can help support us and keep the servers on with the service called Buy Me a Coffee because I still find it grammatically weird to try to figure out a way to insert that name. And uh, what are we working on? Well, depending on when this episode comes out, in the future, on the horizon, we have the fantastic L.A. Marzulli and all of his thoughts on the Nephilim and Giants and the Kandahar Giant and the Catalina Giant. We've got Dr. Mark Hewitt coming on who believes that the Zodiac and the Unabomber were one in the same and has lots of evidence to prove that. And we've also got John Mylar who's supposed to come back on and tell us about biblical UFO encounters. And then we've got some stuff coming up hopefully on uh, Tartaria, which we haven't talked about. And uh, that's, that's all on the horizon. And remember, as Anne Rand said, the truth is not for all men, but only for those who seek it. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.